hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on it so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com drink. That's rosettastone.com drink. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc.com slash drink. Uh, hey, everybody. It is, and that's why we drink round two featuring uh, Zandy Schieffer. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you doing? Um, I'm mm. just, I've been wondering all day, like, wh- why, why do you, why do you drink? <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you asked because I didn't prompt you to do that at all. Um, well, because, uh, so we are recording an hour late because we were supposed to record an hour ago, but then I told Zandy, oh, I want to wait until uh, my smoothie gets here because I don't want it to like melt the whole time we're recording and then I don't have a smoothie. Also, I would like it to drink while we are recording, but as you can see, I'm not drinking anything because it took forever to get here. Uh, it finally showed up, and then as soon as I sat down on the table to record, it fell over and exploded all no. over the floor. <laughs> so... All that hour was for nothing. I still would have not had a smoothie. No. And so. Oh my God. That's terrible. It's fine. Yesterday I was like really dehydrated. I don't think I realized it until I woke up this morning and I had one of those like dehydration like headaches where Mm -hmm. I was like, if you don't drink a gallon of water right now, you're going to fall over. And I was like, oh, I'm going to like replenish myself with vitamins and be really good. And like I had a whole plan with the smoothie and it just literally fell apart. So. Literally, um, <laughs> that's awful. That's so, the worst feeling ever. 
Yeah, so I chugged a bunch of water before we got on here. We'll see what happens. But okay. I, I hope your day's going better. <laughs> are, are Is there a reason why you drink today? Um, Kind of. So you texted me saying we got to push it back. And I wasn't mm-hmm. complaining because um, I was playing RuneScape. This is my life recently. It's literally RuneScape. I, I don't know what else <laughs> to talk about because it's all I've been doing. And then I was like, great, I actually have a chance to do something. And this will mean nothing to most people, but I got this clue scroll I was doing. It was a hard clue scroll. And I went through all the steps, and the rewards I got were really bad. So that's why I'm drinking, because I'm really sad about it. I don't know what that means, but I, that man, you know, I've been there a million times. It's just yeah. never good. Never good. Yeah, never good. I tried to impress you, and I looked up RuneScape trivia. <laughs> I'm not, I, I failed you because I, oh, no. I feel like every link I clicked on where it was like, did you know these things about RuneScape? It felt like a listicle of things everyone already knows, oh. um, which is weird because I don't even know what RuneScape is. And I felt like I knew these things. It was like, yeah. did you know that you can have a lot of different characters? And I was oh, like, okay. I, I was like, I feel like that's, I assume any, any game gives you that option. It, so, it just kind of like sells it to you instead of like giving anything too fun about it. Um, there was I feel nothing... like most fun facts are very specific to the game where if you don't play, it won't make sense. That I saw something about magic spells and I was like, I, <laughs> for all I know, that is a fun fact. The fun fact to me is that there's magic spells. I didn't know that. So I, I there... do have something though. There are, yes, there are multiple, um, multiple types of magic within RuneScape and you can change your spell book. Uh, and ah! each okay, one has I like a different, RuneScape. different theme. And actually, uh, fun fact I have. So, uh, Gilinor is the name of like the world, uh, and it's an anagram of religion. And part of that is because Whoa. there are different religions within. It's spelled like G I E L I N O R or something. I don't. I may probably mess that up. But um, there are different religions, and they're kind of like factions where there's like Zamorak, uh, Saradomen, and there are all these different. So anyway, so I actually found Wait, that out recently. That so, actually did blow my mind a little bit. Yeah, it's a little fun fact. Does everybody who plays this know that? No, I didn't until recently, and I've I've been playing this since middle school. So. Um, that's what I that's the kind of information I was trying to throw your way yeah. I could not find it in a pinch um I tried but I, hey, I did, you had one anyway I did do some research though other than that and I found a little short true crime thing a sort of true crime I about uh RuneScape because there was a 19 year old who threatened another player on RuneScape and ended up being put in prison for six years Oh my god, and what kind of threat I, was it? No, exactly. And I read that. I'm like, that is absurd. This is like, it's it probably like a... stupid trolling or whatever. And then I read it. And sure enough, that's kind of what it was. It was like really dark and really specific, like school shooting related, like very, oh my god. and like brought up Columbine. But then I read more into the case and the FBI got involved because on this guy's computer, there were uh, all these different, he was searching ways to make bombs. He was searching Whoa. like very specific school shootings uh so this guy like kind of meant attack. business yeah very like clearly was looking at specific recipes and uh whoa and anyway so i got put in prison for six years uh was released in 2018 so there is something true crime somewhat related adjacent to uh runescape wow now if anyone knows any true crime about pokemon cards let me know <laughs> if there's like a big like, like ocean's 11 theft on pokemon Ooh. cards i'd like to know about it <laughs> Wow. Okay. Wow. That actually, I learned something by accident, which was the opposite of how this was supposed to go, but it worked out. 
This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace Courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace Courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Daylight saving time is starting up again. It may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com drink. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right. My story today um, is the second half of the Bunny Man Bridge. So if you are popping in uh, and you haven't listened to the most recent episode, go check that out first because you won't know what I'm talking about. But I am very excited for the fun fact I have for you at the end of this, because I feel like uh, I feel like it's well, I feel like if I give you any lead in there, you'll know what I'm talking about. So you won't. (laughs) Whatever. Okay, so (laughs) this is part two of the Buddy Man Bridge. And we last left off with this one man named Brian Conley. He finally was over not knowing what the legend's origins were. And he went out and he actually found two incidents back in the Mm seventies. And there was in fact a quote, according to a police report, rabbit with an ax or subject dresses a rabbit with an ax. So at least we can confirm where the origin originally started. So now in the year 2000, this is something else that Brian Conley found these, uh, He was like, okay, I found the origins, but where is the actual, what's the root of the legend coming from? Who started this rumor? And in 2000, apparently the Washington Post had a whole collection of articles called the Maryland Folklore Archive, which is uh, something I guess Brian looked into. And in it, one of the articles mentions this student from the University of Maryland named Patricia Johnson. And in 1973, only three years after the bunny man folklore began. She was in a class called introduction to folklore and she submitted a paper titled the bunny man. And her whole goal in this article was to figure out how many versions of the story there were after only three years of the legend even existing. Do you want to guess after three years, how many versions of the bunny man urban legend there were? Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think because it's a small town. 
But it, at this point, it had already spread to the, through the entire DMV. Which, yeah, the by the fact way, that is, it's Maryland, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. DC, Maryland, Virginia. Yeah, yeah now it's in Maryland. It was started in, in Virginia, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Um. Ooh. Because when I, I, hmm, I'm gonna guess. No, I don't. I like. I don't know if I'm. It's seventeen. 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 You know what? No. Um. But I was trying to think. No, no, no. It was actually shockingly not enough. What? There were in those three years, which had the story had spread to the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia. It took. It got up to fifty-four different versions. Fifty-four. It had spread like wildfire. And it's not shocking why even today, I mean, the town I grew up in was 45 minutes away from where this story supposedly happened. And I grew up hearing a bunch of different versions of it, which makes sense if I'm only 45 minutes away and people three hours away are hearing about it. But it's either, oh, he ate bunnies, he dresses a bunny and killed people. Also, he's a ghost on Halloween. Like, I mean, it's all over mm-hmm. the place. So, And what's really interesting about Patricia Johnson's paper where she wrote about this, out of the 54 versions she actually broke it down to figure out what parts were changing the most often things like that by the way i think this class still exists if you're at the university of maryland it's english 460 (laughs) that's so cool that that's existed in the 70s and is still going today i think that's such a cool a cool class to be able to take oh my gosh there was there was one class that i'm so mad i never took at my school i think it was like in like uh we never had a media communications. I grew up, I grew up in college. I knew like, oh, I'm in calm or I take communications. I always thought of it as human communications or human behavior. And then I went to BU and like the college of communications and it was all media. So I had to readjust my mm-hmm. brain. But in college, I was a calm minor. So I did human communication. And one of the classes was called like magic demonology and weird beliefs or something it was crazy it was apparently the professor had like seen demons before and i found out about this like the last semester before i graduated so i couldn't take another class i was so upset oh my god that sounds wild whoa anyway if you're at cnu and you take that class please send me your notes (laughs) (laughs) okay so she found out there's 54 versions and she broke it down that Out of these 54 versions, 14 of them were completely different locations. I guess Bunny Man Bridge just kind of became like a a catch-all for like a bridge nearby. 18 of them, only only 18 of them involved a hatchet. So that's like, what, a third? A quarter of them? Third. A third of them, I think. Yeah, that's like exactly a third, right? Okay, never mind. I don't know. No, no. I, this isn't a math 18 podcast. 18 times is it? 3 is 50. Yeah, it is. Right? Okay. It's literally a third. Wow. Are you. Wait. Together, we're pretty good at math. That worked out, uh, surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> so only a third of them involve an axe anymore, which is interesting because the first versions of the Bunny Man Bridge I heard didn't have an axe. But I. I there were slaughtered humans and bunnies. So I guess I, I never even thought about the weapon. I just. Mm-hmm. What? And then 14 of them involved attacks on cars, which the first incident was a, a couple that was parked out in a field. Nine of them involved a parked couple. And five of them had to do with vandalism, which was from the second incident mm-hmm. where he was attacking a porch. porch. <laughs> and only three of them involved murder. 
Oh, that's kind of surprising. I feel like that's the first thing, especially if you're if you're cha- adding things or changing things to the story, to, especially if you want to make it scarier or you're telling it around a campfire. I don't know how this works, but um, <laughs> I imagine you want to add murder to it. That's so, what I thought. I, I definitely thought the same. I was like, well, murder's going to be at least the one thing everything has in common. Mm-hmm. But I guess, I don't know if, I guess this, the murder part is that, you know, you better not go near the bridge at night or you'll get murdered. But I guess there really isn't too many stories involving a murder origin mm. because just like how I had never heard the version where his first victim was a, another person from the, the hospital. Remember, he, yeah. he killed somebody from the hospital. I never yeah. heard that version. So maybe that was one of the three. But anyway, since the study was done over 50 years ago now, those 54 versions could have grown significantly or some of them might have even just faded away or there could be brand new ones i mean we definitely need to recount so patricia johnson if you're still (laughs) a student at university of maryland uh please recount them for me especially because it's involved over time so one of the things that i think it was brian conley who realized this but based on the generation you're a part of that grew up with this story there are different kind of themes it's like it's evolved over time based on what's spooky now so in the 70s people kind of heard the baseline the closest thing to the truth because the actual incidents had just happened so it was more based on like vandalism or just a creepy guy in the area in the 80s it became a little more Mm. they tried to incorporate it into like satanic panic so during sleepovers you would hear about it like maybe he was summoned by the devil or something but the kids that were our generation who grew up in the nineties and after it's becoming more and more supernatural. So Mm. I never grew up with, he was a ghost that only showed up on Halloween, but apparently that's the new version kids are hearing. Interesting. So it's very cool to see that based on the decade it's editing itself. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, by 1973, when this paper from school came out about how many versions there were, the bunny man story had spread all over the place. Different versions had now become, I guess, I don't know what you would call it. Not allegories. Mm-hmm. But like representative the, of like their times kind of thing. Like they, they became, it became one of those things where parents would tell their kids about it to scare them into oh, like see, yeah, their just, behavior. Yeah. 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 Where it was like, don't do this or the bunny man's going to come get you. Yeah, or as, it, as a German, we just call those just stories. Just, they're all that, you know. <laughs> just good wishes for the <laughs> end of like the night. Everything just has to bedtime happen. Bedtime dreams. <laughs> so they would say like, oh, you don't be disobedient or we'll leave you in the woods and the bunny man will get you. Like <laughs> our, our parents said some of the weirdest shit that now today would not fly. <laughs> they also, anytime someone would go missing, the rumor would always spread that maybe the bunny man got them. I guess one of the things they told kids a lot was if your animals got out, then they would, the bunny man would find them. So that it like forced kids to be more um, attentive to like not letting the dog out or something like that. So it was just used as kind of a a sweeping warning for the community. (laughs) Interesting. And again, by the 80s, it became more of the satanic panic folklore. And so it was like good around campfires and, you know, sleepovers and things like that. And by the 90s, in 1999, when the internet hit, it got a whole new wave of people because now it's not just spreading throughout the community, it's spreading on the internet. So the main website that it's spread on is called Castle of Spirits. 
and I don't know if you've heard about it. I have I, not. I hadn't either, and now I feel like I need to bookmark it if it's telling me the truth. But apparently it is one of the oldest consistently running archives of ghost stories on the internet. It's been hmm. around since 1997. Does it, does it look the exact same way as it yeah. did in 19? I love it. I love it sure that. Does. <laughs> it sure does. I, I don't know if it's still working. I, I mean, it, it does work because I logged on and it exists, but I don't know if anyone's still posting on there. But Castle of Spirits and a guy named Timothy Forbes posted the story of the Clifton Bunny Man. And that was when it really took off again. I'm assuming it attracted some interest. I don't want to... You mentioned last week, you said something that I, I bit my tongue so I didn't say anything. But you mentioned that it sounded a little like Donnie Darko. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which is set in a town called Middlesex, Virginia. Oh. And the director, Richard Kelly, he grew up in Virginia. So he actually was born in Newport News, which is where I went to college. And he grew up in Richmond, which is an hour away from me. No way. So there's a very large chance. It has not been confirmed, but it like I'm pretty convinced that he knew about the bunny man growing up. And that might have been the inspiration for Frank the Bunny and Donnie Darko. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Which, if you haven't seen Donnie Darko, 14-year-old me would have thought you were just the worst human <laughs> on Earth. I would have just been like, you don't even know culture. You know nothing about anything. Um, but it's Jake Gyllenhaal and a, his... A, either a hallucination or a ghost. It was never really explained even in the movie, but he's followed around by a man in a bunny suit. And there's even a, there's a famous line where he says, why are you in the bunny suit? And then Frank says something like, why are you wearing that human suit? It's supposed to be like really philosophical and blow your mind. <laughs> Did you watch it? I have. It's been a while though. It's, it, I, I watched it pretty late. Like I, at, at a point where, I felt like I was obligated to finally watch it. And then I haven't watched it since. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I don't really remember too much. I just remember, of course, Frank sticks with you. You know, he's, that, that he's got costume. To. Yeah. Especially because the face on him is, is a little creepy. It's not like a cute Easter bunny suit. Yeah. And so the only real premise I can tell you about Diane Darko is this bunny is telling him that like the world's going to end in 28 days. Mm -hmm. And, I kind of hate the movie in that, like, the point of it is it it makes no sense. You're supposed to make your own interpretation off of it. Like, the director has even been like, I don't know what it's about. I just <laughs> fucking went for it. Which is so sad. Can you imagine if he really had a real vision for it and nobody understood it? So now he's kind of, like, backed away. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I don't, it meant nothing. <laughs> or maybe everyone, he heard all of these theories about what it meant and was like, oh, shit, that's a better thing than mine. <laughs> so I'm just going to pretend I didn't have one in mind. <laughs> Whatever. He really made a name for himself. I I don't know if he's done anything else, but, you know, he gets to die knowing he made Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah. Cult classic for sure. I mean, I, I, it probably got also commercial success, too. But, I mean, that's still one that people point to. To Yeah. I still think it was – it definitely – my adolescence was changed because of Donnie Darko. So that – the fact that my hometown legend was based on, like, one of my favorite movies as, as a teenager, I just thought I was on top of the world with, like, spooky folklore. <laughs> But so, again, it's never been confirmed, but it's a, a well-known suspicion that the Bunny Man Bridge is what inspired Frank. And so here are just a few theories of who this Bunny Man is, because like I said last week, there were two incidents that actually happened with a man in a bunny suit. Within the same week on the same block, or one block over whatever, 
And it was a man in a bunny suit with an axe, but we never found out who it was because the first incident never had a police report officially filed. And the second one was a vandalism report, but very vague. Mm -hmm. So we never got the actual person. The only ID we ever got was that it was someone in either their late teens or early 20s. And I think one of the guys said he was five feet tall, about 175 pounds. And I think he was a white guy. So one theory for who this is, is he is actually, or well, here, here's, okay. Hmm. Here's another part. Let me do this first. Here's a part of the folklore of like one of the 54 variations is that they think this was a mental patient who escaped, not just to escape being in a mental hospital, but because he needed to be out so he could avenge his dead wife and child. Mm. That was one of the many versions. And I guess it made a real name for itself. So when they tried to research it, uh, I think Brian Conley, when he tried to research this, he was like, let's at least put this one to bed. Like, if it, if this person does exist, was he really out to avenge his wife and kid? So he went through all of the Fairfax County records from the 1870s to the 1970s, a whole hundred years. Wow. And he looked specifically at murders that there was more than one person and one of them was a child, which... Smart, yeah. Shockingly and happily, out of 100 years, there was only three cases. Okay. So really dialed in on them. One of them was from 1949, and it was a a mom and a daughter. The mom had been beaten up and shot by her husband, and the baby daughter was buried alive. Jesus. And he was able to exclude this one because... The husband was convicted, which oh. means he couldn't have escaped anywhere. And he was officially convicted. And yeah. And he he killed the family, too. So he couldn't avenge anyone if he was the killer, you know. Yeah. So that one was out. The second one was in 1927. The wife's name was Minnie. And then there were actually two daughters. So that also kind of goes against mm -hmm, the story. Mm -hmm. But a man broke into their house. I guess he actually called and said, like, oh, can I talk to your husband? And then when she, he found out that the husband was out, he came over and he uh, beat up the wife and kids. Jesus. And I guess the kids ended up dying. The wife was able to survive and ID him. But so then that takes them out of the picture because the wife survived. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The last one is from 1918. And it was a 14-year-old girl who left the house for the day and never came back. But she was, wow, several things. The police found out several things uh, that might have happened to her. But one thing was for sure is that they found her tied to a tree and strangled by her own apron. Jesus. And she was 14. So the killer was never discovered, which makes this story more fitting. But there was no mother who also died mm -hmm. to be avenged. And uh, plus, this story is from 1918, which is too old of a story or, or it's not it doesn't fit the timeline so here are the so he was able to wipe out the the one theory of like oh he's out to like you know yeah. get revenge on whoever hurt his family that one's out so now i'll bring in the conversation of so who the heck is this guy based on what we know the best theories people could come up with is that it could have been and most realistically it could have been someone who was really mad about people trespassing <laughs> was, uh, but then also how would he know whether or not someone was trespassing because he didn't it's not like he lived on the properties that he went up to mm. and said you're on someone else's property he most likely had some mental illness 
And he he honestly, another theory is he could have just been someone not dressed as a bunny at all. Because if you remember the first incidents, uh, the first incident, the, even the two people who saw him had differing opinions on what he yeah. looked like. And one of them very much seemed to say that he looked like he was dressed like he was a member of the KKK. Mm-hmm. In that area at that time, I would not be surprised if that's what happened. If this dude just showed up in a random field wearing like one of those tall white hoods, like, I don't know, you tell me. Could have, who knows, another theory is he could have literally been a fucking serial killer. And like, I mean, he smashed through people's car and like tried to hurt them. So could be a serial killer. Another option is that he was a very unhinged man, but specifically he was having a hard time adjusting to the new development in the Mm -hmm. area. That is probably the most accurate guess besides maybe being a white supremacist. Well, what's interesting with that one is because like, yeah, it could definitely could have been both Um, with that one. If they describe the man as late teens, early twenties, I feel like that, like, get out of get off my property that crotchety it makes me think of a much older person so the fact that he's described that way um it doesn't i feel like that description doesn't lend itself to someone who uh would not be happy about new development Um, yeah exactly and i so i agree with you i think it's probably someone younger um the reason that they bring uh this up that it might just be someone Mm. adjusting to like new development plans is because I guess during the seventies, there was a huge change in the town where it went from being a really small area, I guess after uh, world war two, it was super rural then. And then by the 1950s, they started building some houses. And by the 1960s, it was becoming like, it was becoming a whole new area. And by the seventies, they had plans to just completely make it, like its own city. Yeah. And I guess it was very common for people in the area who had lived there for generations to really not like this. Yeah. I guess a lot of people had a hard time coping about getting rid of the rural area. And one of the main reasons was because they felt like their sense of community was being threatened by city life and the trope of not knowing everyone you live next to. And he, if, but, <laughs> Here's my thought. If he loved his community so much and he was so close to his community and knew everyone in it, why could no one ID him? Yeah, yeah. That's my thought. So, or were they protecting him? Because oh. he, what if he was a, a racist asshole, but they he was their friend or their neighbor, and they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this happened. But they're my racist asshole. <laughs> yeah, but it definitely wasn't a clan hood. It was definitely uh, a religious, a very positive religious thing. The only thing they could say was, he looked like a bunny, but we're not saying anything else about him. <laughs> We just want, like, the insurance to pay for our car window. We don't right. want this guy in trouble. <laughs> so, actually, you know what? Let's throw that in the ringer. Because all these are such vague guesses anyway. Like, who knows? But, you know, what's interesting about the area is, I guess, the Bunny Man Bridge and this theory that he was just, like, a simple man who loved his community, which is so ironic that that's <laughs> how we've turned this into something. He apparently has inspired other people in the area who now live in a much more populated Fairfax County, they have now started their own collective with the intention of bettering their connection with their neighbors. Oh. And it's called the Bunnyman Bridge Collective. Oh my and gosh, that's kind of fun. <laughs> I have a few quotes. It's so weird that they like turn something like kind of gnarly into something very sweet. But they are, quote, inspired by the bunny man's mission to preserve community, which is so funny because he's throwing axes at people, but okay. (laughs) Um, One of the people part of the collective named Jessica Callista says, quote, 
the Bunny Man Bridge Collective counteracts the fragmented relationships between neighbors who know each other only well enough to nod hello to each other. We recapture interconnectivity in others to put an end to the isolation and alienation experienced by people living in suburbia. And they host art events and exhibits, and they are hoping to bring in other locals. It's basically like a friendship group if you're in a city and want friends. Um, It's very sweet. And Jessica also said, the bunny man may not have known how to stop suburban sprawl, but he wasn't going out without being heard. He may have been the perfect storm of mental instability and exasperation at the unraveling of Virginia's small town communities. But the bunny man is an icon for shaking things up, doing things in a different way, and not accepting the status quo of making noise. He's the underbelly, the weird, the urban legend in Fairfax, which on the surface is calm, but the bunny man torments suburbia. I, okay, this might be weird, but I got goosebumps from that. (laughs) It was, honestly, it's a lot. like it it was very flowery but like it sounds like today's version of how shakespeare probably yeah. talked like <laughs> yeah. very well said like you really like i understand your mission entirely yeah <laughs> but um yeah so they're a, just a, a collective of artists who just want some friends in the city and want to know the community and i think that's very sweet i also think it's they really took a completely different spin on who the bunny man might have been i really respect that <laughs> but, and it reminds me, this is kind of off topic, but it remi- I've been thinking of uh, Isaac Brock, who's the lead singer of uh, Modest Mouse, and it's one of my favorite bands. But they have this album, Lonesome Crowded West, and the whole point of it was about this that 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 the the sprawl that was all these strip malls popping up, and so there's all these themes. And so as you were saying this stuff about the Bunny Man, I'm like, I feel like Isaac Brock is is like also the Bunny Man, like going out with all this noise and making noise about like you can't stop it, but like talking about how freaking awful all of these yeah. strip malls popping up and taking away our community. Um, I like how the Bunny wow. Man and the Modest Mouse could like there for sure. <laughs> It's like one's the good and one's the evil. They're each other's like chaotic evil, <laughs> exactly. you know. Anyway, no, that's part. That's yeah. Well, then maybe Modest Mouse, if you're listening, go join the Bunny Man Bridge Collective. <laughs> you sound like you fit right in. Anyway, that's one spin on who the person might have been, and they've at least taken it by storm. I don't think there's any other theories out there on who the Bunny Man is, where like organizations are being created. So. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run with that because they found a way to make a nice spin on it. But the, so growing up in Virginia, the main story that you hear, or like the, the kind of the log line you hear at high school when they're like, Oh, you want to go to the bunny man bridge tonight? It's just that if you go at night, the whole point is to like drive under the bridge and in general experience the creepiness, especially on Halloween. But I think a lot of people will say like, Yo, you have to go and you park under the bridge or even get out and just walk around in the woods near the bridge and see what happens. A lot of people do the like, oh, you have to sit under the bridge and honk your horn three times or say Bonnie Man's name three times. It's just like a thing you do on Halloween. But I guess it around. I don't know why this year, but I saw one article say by 2003, it became such a massive, like a well-known Halloween thing that teenagers would do. Instead of trick-or-treating, because, like, you could just literally go get candy for free next door. I don't know why people stopped doing that. But uh, people would just do it so often on Halloween that the police had to start getting involved. 
And just as an FYI, if you live in the area and you want to go to Bunnyman Bridge on Halloween, Fairfax County Police monitor the site every Halloween, and they allegedly even have a 24-7 camera pointed at the tunnel. Apparently, there was one Halloween in 2011 that was so bad that there was a 14-hour traffic checkpoint, like a roadblock that you waited 14 hours to be able to get out. Oh, my God. And there were people who, like, even came from Pennsylvania, I guess, to, like, go to the Bunny Man Bridge. And over 200 people were turned away that night. My God. Okay. This is Which, this is wild. at that point, you should start, like, just selling tickets. Yeah. Like, that's... I mean, I literally... All, especially during COVID. Uh, and there's still some that after COVID, it was so successful. They're doing it again this year, even mm-hmm. though people can get out of their cars. In LA, there's so many drive-in Halloween events now where like you drive through a pumpkin patch and it's yep. all lit up with pretty lights and everything. Why on earth didn't they make this like a jump scare drive-through attraction with 200 people? Yeah, I'm doing one of those in Long Island. And there, and I looked and there are a bunch of them in Long Island. Like there, there's so many of these things and it's like yeah take advantage of this especially with that kind of story i mean it i know these other ones it's just like oh let's we have some space let's create one but here you have not only an area for it you have a freaking bunny man story i mean if you're the like mayor of fairfax or something i'm just giving you like an idea (laughs) that at least sell tickets for pictures next to the bunny man bridge or something or have someone dress as the bunny man bridge like just throw like a bucket of fake blood on an easter bunny costume <laughs> have them stand by the bridge all night and have people take pictures um what what's this bridge look i didn't google it what does the bridge look like is it just an, a just concrete just kind of boring looking overpass it's a very boring looking overpass okay. it's, it's um actually i i don't know what it looks like now but online i saw someone leave a note being like since you know i went or since i used to go as a kid it actually looks a lot different than it used to they've like built it up or it doesn't look as creepy as it used to but it's also right next to a dead end so i think a lot of cops were able to tell especially during halloween like oh if you're driving through the tunnel like there's nothing on the other side Mm. so like you're clearly going i'm sure it's also a great spot to park if you're a couple on halloween and like hoping to run to the bunny man so i think they it Apparently, there's a dead end not too far away. So there was a note on, like, Atlas Obscura, too, that said, like, if you end up going, just know you're going to have to awkwardly back out afterwards and (laughs) drive back home. But it's the area has super sharp winding roads, just a heads up if you are going. Also, the tunnel is a single car tunnel. It's very tiny. So don't speed through it because someone might be coming out on the other side or people might be walking or something. And it apparently leads to a dead end. Again, I say apparently or allegedly because I never went because my mom always got mad at me when I said I was thinking about going. So uh, now that I'm an adult, next time I go, next time I go home, I should probably just check it out for myself and call it a day. But yeah, so just heads up, especially don't go on Halloween because either the police will turn you away or you'll get stuck in like a several hour long roadblock. The most recent update is that in 2018, there actually was a man found dead there and it seems like it was a homicide. (gasps) Uh, I don't know any more about that case, but it was only a few hundred feet away from the bridge. So I guess it uh, invigorated people to tell the story all over again, or it it just fits into the, the zeitgeist of this, I guess. Yeah. And it just adds, adds to it all, you know? Oh my gosh. And here's my fun fact for you. uh, This, I'm just going to end on this because it's very delicious is that there's one man named Jim Waters who I guess still lives in Fairfax or, 
lives in the Virginia area. He's in his 50s now, but when he was 11, he would hear about the Bunny Man Bridge all the time. And I guess it terrified him. He was afraid to even like walk to school or ride his bike to school. And I guess him and his local friends, they all have their own version of Bunny Man Bridge and the stories that they heard growing up. And so he's in a band, um, which I don't know the pronunciation. Echo Echo um, and the Bunny Man. I'm no, it is called... <laughs> I don't I don't think it's in English. It's M M A N T U A Mantua. And then the second word is F I N I A L S. Finials? Finials. I think that's that's like a part of a house, I think. A Mantua Finials. I don't know about the first part, but that last Oh. Yeah, I think that's I think that's like a It's it's finals with an A before the It's an I before the A. Um yeah, F I N I A L. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a an ornamental thing on a roof. Ha, huh, what's Mantua? Look that up. Okay, Mantua. <laughs> Mantua Finials, Finials. Mantua, it's a city in Ohio. Oh, it's oh. also an I was in a city in Italy. Uh it was an island settlement um in Italy. So <laughs> Interesting. Well, okay, so that's the name of his band. <laughs> And uh, I guess all the members are locals from Virginia, or at least people who grew up hearing about the Bunny Man story. Mm-hmm. And I'm un- I the way I've written the origin to this in my head is that they had all at one point gotten together and talked about their variations of the Bunny Man, and none of them knew the truth of you know what origin is correct or what legend is correct. All of them got together and they wrote a two and a half hour rock opera. <gasps> Which is, by the way, 26 songs slash three CDs, which I purchased. (gasps) And it it is a two and a half hour rock opera from the Bunny Man's perspective. Whoa. Which, like, are you kidding me? I love that. That's so fun. Even in 2013 to 2014, they even performed parts of it uh, live at a place called Jam and Java. It's, by the way, you would love that place that was like one of the main venues my friends would go to for shows in richmond you would love jam and actually i don't i don't it might be in dc i totally forgot which way it's either up or down from Fredericksburg. no actually one of my best friends from home it's her favorite venue ever but yeah apparently they performed there for a year and did different pieces of the bunny man show oh my so anyway I did listen to some of it. I did purchase all three CDs. So if you ever wanted to sit down and listen to it, I can send you my account to Heck it. Heck yeah. The music is actually pretty good. So they need, they was, need a, at this point, especially now finding this out, they need a Bunny Man festival. They need a, a I don't know why, because doesn't um, Cincinnati have like a Loveland Frogman thing? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, that's a good I question. That, they should. Oh, I'm thinking of. Um, <sighs> shit. It was some. It's another small local cryptid, Dover Demon. I don't remember. They what have it was, the, they, the like, Loveland they... Frogman race. I just googled, so oh. there's like a five k. <laughs> okay, but, but there should be a Bunny Man where you run through the bridge at the yeah. end. Yeah. Oh yeah. That should be. I don't know why that. If I'm telling you, if you are part of small government in Fairfax County, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Like, if your job is like community, which. Especially if your whole job is community, and one of the whole theories about this is he just wanted community again. Mm-hmm. You could honor the Bunny Man Bridge and then thus keep him away from harming people if you just bring community together at the bridge. Yes. I, I, mean, I love you're it. You're foolish to not. Yeah. Just oh, my saying. God. You already have a, a, a musical artist that can perform there. <laughs> um, For two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Got, you're sad. That's like... 
That's a you got your set, your whole set. Amazing. You could have pictures. Literally, I'm not kidding about like the Easter Bunny with like a bucket of paint on him. Like, I mean, there are definitely Easter Bunny costumes. I know at the Fairfax Mall, you can take pictures with a bunny man mm-hmm. with, during Easter. But like, you know, <laughs> it's a, these things are available to you, and you're not doing it. So. And also during Halloween, I don't know why you wouldn't just make this a, a money grabbing situation. Like, yeah, capitalism. But you know, it would just saying. I feel like <laughs> you know how you were talking about the different decades having different um, versions. I feel like the, oh, yeah. the Gen Z Bunny Man is a capitalist, so um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be you might be like feeding into that story. So actually, <laughs> <laughs> the Gen. I'm very excited to see what Gen Z does with the Bunny Man. I at this point they could. At least, like, what what the fuck's a weird little bunny man dance going to be on the bridge? Like some crazy <laughs> yeah, so little, true. Some little hop or something. Oh but uh, anyway, that's the story of the Bunny Man Bridge. Oh, that was amazing. And I've got some music to check out, too. I love that. Oh, cool. I can't wait to send it to you. I, um, I really did buy it in the middle of the night with the intention of, like, at some point I'm just going to sit down and just take every word in <laughs> it's like i'll probably send it to you so we can analyze it together i love it i love it it feels very fitting that juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy we're happy but because we're not mind readers we don't always know when they're unwell and in my experience cats are not the most you know open when it comes to sharing their woes and there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD to save 20%. Prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Um, I have something that actually kind of, when you, when you were going through your story and you're talking about how things changed over the year, that years, yeah. that's kind of my, um, Ooh. where my story is. I'm, I'm going to go over the, through the years and, um, a couple hundred years and show how a specific story has, um, been changed or like added to, I'd say. So, uh, first so I'll fine. give the initial background and, uh, the basics of the case, which and this is the case of Bathsheba Ruggles mm. Spooner. And Ooh, she was every, the f- <laughs> every name was better than the last. 
I'm going to hate having to say Bathsheba over and over again. It is very <laughs> difficult for my mouth to make that noise. So I'm sorry in advance, everyone, for li- having to listen. I just told Zandy this yesterday. All I knew was that the person's name was, was Bathsheba. And I was like, I just did a whole story about someone named Bathsheba. And I had to say the name a million times. It was awful. I, also, if your name is Bathsheba, it's such a pretty name. I just, oh, yeah. uh, saying it was really rough for me. Because it, it definitely feels like two, sounds like Bath and Sheba. And they should not, there should be a space between them (laughs) in in speech so it really did sound rough coming out of my mouth so good luck thank you i i've been practicing but i don't think it did much good so we'll see (laughs) um so her story is actually this it's a story of the first ever capital case since the american revolution whoa Uh, so it it starts with her birth sandwich massachusetts uh, february 15th 1746 okay Her dad was a very wealthy lawyer and a military leader. He was Brigadier General Timothy Ruggles. Uh, (laughs) I know these names are just not. (laughs) I feel like if I ever time traveled, every person I met back there who like told me their last name, I would just have to take a moment and chuckle to myself. They're all so silly. (laughs) They are silly. And it makes it a little more whimsical, even though it's uh, maybe not the most whimsical It feels like like Willy Wonka's cousin. It's like Brigadier Ruggles. It's like Winnie the Pooh's best friend. (laughs) Oh my God. Or like an animated like dog in some movie. Like (laughs) happens to be in the military. Like Um, I think of like, do you remember the movie Cats and Dogs? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like he would have, like, led the dog team yeah, against exactly. the cats, <laughs> you know? Like a gruff German shepherd, Brigadier, <laughs> no, Brigadier with General Ruggles, Ruggles. With Ruggles, he's got all those jowls. Oh, the jowls, yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, my God, I love it. So Ruggles, he was the leader of the Tory party, which I need a, needed a reminder of this, uh, which meant he was a supporter of the uh, the king and oh. was a loyalist during the revolution so okay no one really liked him because they were like hey you're not on board with this revolution thing <laughs> and in 1766 and the theory is partially because of uh him being a loyalist and not being very popular he m- married he arranged for his daughter uh Bathsheba to be married to a um very wealthy farmer who was of pretty good standing and his name was Joshua Spooner and his father was a Joshua's father was a Boston merchant okay so Joshua though was abusive uh he was an abusive husband and he was unfaithful as well to her and a court deposition described him as weak Easily intimidated and unable to sustain a manly importance as the head of the family. And I weirdly like, no, I don't like, but it's funny, not funny. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. But basically, like, the big insult is... It's always silly. It's silly. (laughs) It's silly that that the way they describe him was like, oh, he's such a, he's weak, he's not manly. They didn't care about the abuse thing, you know, that he was abusive and unfaithful. They're like, oh, he was such a weak man. So weak willed. I know. Um, (laughs) Maybe they were uh, like ahead of their time and they knew that being abusive doesn't make you a strong man. And they were trying to hit him where it hurt. They were like, you're not even, you're not even that strong, you know? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good, you know, I like that. I like that. that I like to think that they were uh, that aware Mm -hmm. of what masculinity was in the 1700s (laughs) whatever (laughs) we can all hope we can just hope let's hope (laughs) so then in 1777 there's an american soldier who was coming home from war named ezra ross he Mm. fell sick in brookfield massachusetts where uh, the spooners were living and bathsheba took care of him until he felt well enough to continue home then 
Ezra returned, went to return back to war and stopped by the Spooners again in July 1777. And then after the British surrendered at Saratoga, New York, he returned to the Spooner household again. But this time, he stayed for multiple months. He went on business trips with Joshua, so they, those two were tight. Uh, and he also had an affair with Bathsheba, so those two were also tight. They were super duper yeah. tight. They were hanging out. Yes, and then he ended up uh, getting Bathsheba pregnant in January of 1778. So, and then him and that baby were pretty tight. No. <laughs> well, does the baby I, make it? You'll you'll see. Okay, um, you'll I, uh, see. I said too soon. Yeah, uh, so her and her family were they were all loyalists, so they were not very popular. So Bathsheba was really worried about um, having this affair, and people were going to find out because she was pregnant. And apparently, people were getting tarred and feathered for loyalists specifically were getting tarred and feathered for just being loyalists. So this on top of it was just an extra layer of something something yeah. to be afraid of. Um, so she came up with the idea to kill her husband, which oh. because she thought so he, no one's going to find out if I just kill my husband because then no one's going to care and he's just going to be dead and then I can say it was his. Aha, uh-huh, okay. So, but the plan was not well thought out and that kind of comes up later. So she asked Ezra to help poison Joshua. So he took a bottle of nitric acid with him on one of his on one of the business trips they went on together, but he backed out of the plan and decided uh, to just go home instead of returning to the Spooner household. But while they were gone, not even knowing that he had backed out of the plan, um, Bathsheba met uh, these two British soldiers who were returning from war, and because she was a loyalist, she took them in. Uh, they were Private Private William Brooks and Sergeant James Buchanan. Um, they were Ooh. prisoners of war who had escaped. So she was like, yep, come on in, <laughs> because you know she supported <laughs> them and their cause, and she told them all about her plot to kill her husband. So just just a willy nilly, just like, oh, oh, yeah, I could. The conversation's pretty dry. I've got something that'll spice things up again. Not very well thought out. <laughs> yeah, she seems a little eager for uh, to tell someone about her plan. Yeah. And I imagine at that time, if you're a loyalist, like you're probably somewhat rare. So she was like, right. oh, I can trust these soldiers because we're all on the same side of war. Right, right. And so then her husband returned from his trip and still alive and she was like okay maybe i can recruit these two men Mm. to kill him and they agreed and (laughs) one night i'm (laughs) sorry you know why not what i feel like we're really overlooking the bond that they must have all immediately had (laughs) for her to feel safe enough to tell them that she's gonna kill her husband and for them to just be like yeah we'll do it yeah Something yeah. happened. I Something yeah, I, happened. She did end up paying them. So it didn't say that she offered it beforehand, but I, my assumption is they also, she also said, hey, I will pay you. But oh, um, okay. all the sources I read basically said um, that she paid, but it never said that that's how she got them to do it. Um, so that next night when he, he was out and then he came back and then they jumped him and killed him. Uh, they beat him to death. And then the three of them, uh, threw his body headfirst into, uh, their well, the well that they had on the property. Uh, so Bathsheba gave the two men, the two soldiers money from Joshua's safe, as well as his watch and his, uh, shoe buckles, which were silver and they had his initials on them. Oh, uh, shoe buckles <laughs> okay. at the time. This is a whole thing. And I remember cause I had read an article on my other podcast on human seeking human. And it was something about belt buckles and oh. how those were such a popular thing until a King 
used ribbon instead, and then that became popular. So then people weren't buying these expensive belt buckles, and like the value went down on these buckles. It was a See, whole. See, this is the thing. shit that I care about. I'm so glad you mentioned <laughs> that because if you just said belt buckle, I was gonna uh, deep dive belt buckles later alone. I'm so glad yeah, you already shoe, did the research shoe for buckles. me. These are shoe buckles. Oh, shoe buckles. Right, right, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So like it was even le- like less of a thing now, but it's, you know, you think those like stereotypical like pilgrim things with the shoe buckle, like there's yeah. that like shiny part of the shoe. Yeah. They were, apparently it was a, a whole, a whole thing back then. Well, it makes sense now to, it, it didn't even cross my stupid little 21st century mind that like shoe buckles would cost a lot because they were solid metal. Like yeah. that, who, of course they're expensive and yeah. if, if they're silver forget about it yeah, yeah. exactly um so then they actually found the body very quickly the authorities um I, i'm i did a lot i went through so many articles there was never any reason why they found him so quickly i don't know if someone like reported it but it, it said within 24 hours basically well, it sounds like bathsheba was a sounds like bathsheba was a real chatty catholic yeah, i yeah, wonder if she just it. <laughs> she That's might have just been like i know where a dead body is you know <laughs> well she's not alone because the two men that she hired uh the two soldiers were found drinking at a tavern where in town where they uh were showing off these belt buckles or sorry now i've got the belt buckles on the brain uh these shoe buckles with his initials on them so mm. they were picked up real quick and they found Ezra in the same tavern, but hiding in the attic because he heard that the authorities were coming. And so the men quickly, at least the two men, I don't think Ezra did this, but the two men quickly were like, oh, Bathsheba, it was the wife. She like put us onto this. Mm. So Brooks, one of the soldiers, was charged with the assault on Joshua Spooner, and then Buchanan and Ezra Ross were charged with aiding and abetting in the murder, and then Bathsheba was charged with inciting, abetting, and procuring the manner and form of the murder. Uh, They all pleaded not guilty, and they were represented by Levi Lincoln, distant relative of Abraham Lincoln, who later became Thomas Jefferson's first attorney general. Um, it was it was really interesting to read about these people, and they all have their own big Wikipedia pages, and they were all very big people um, that were involved with this, like on both the defense and the prosecution. Um, it is fun. It's a I've, TV idea, although TMTM don't take our idea, <laughs> but I would be I would love a show like a historical show about all of the side characters that we hear about and what yeah. their lives were like. Like what was abigail adams sister-in-law or a cousin in uh, up to like i feel like they've got some wild story that totally got deflated by the fact yeah. that they were related to someone more famous you know like they're adjacent to these people but they got completely overshadowed by um you know what people talked about over the years and after a few hundred years okay a couple hundred years then you start losing all these stories i mean i it's... i started getting into um and so I think I've mentioned this on the show before, so sorry, everyone. But I on Ancestry, I found out that my great-great-grandfather was a real oh. piece of shit in New York. But he had, like, a big Wikipedia page about him. And I was like, I didn't know that. Like, apparently he was, like, so misogynistic that New York voted that women can – or that women can oh vote. Like, they – just in spite of him. Because that, like, one of the – council meetings he like said such horrific things about women that they were like like we just don't we whatever you say we don't like and they just like voted women into new york so glad i share his blood but i like i like there's then i was able to click on other people that like knew him and it became a whole 
thing. And I was like, it's such a shame that all of us are probably related to someone with a Wikipedia account. We just don't even know it. It's weird, right? And then you think back to this and it's so long ago that like one little branch can go off into so many different things. I also just started watching uh, first two episodes of the show Loki. And so Mm. I'm like thinking of like the branches and like, I'm like, like one little thing can cause so much. And um, I will do my best to not overtake your story by just <laughs> telling you everything I feel about Loki. But in, okay, when you're okay, done with yeah, it, I we'll would love later. a text from you. We'll, yeah. yeah, we'll talk later for sure. <laughs> anyway, the problem is, so this lawyer, Levi Lincoln, couldn't do much for Buchanan and Brooks, the two soldiers, because they both signed a confession saying that they, oh. about their full involvement, wow. um, despite okay. pleading not guilty. Uh, but for Ezra, he said um, that... Ezra had only just found out that same day about this plan because he he backed out of the original plan and then he only that day a few hours before they killed him found out that um, that they were going to do it this way uh, he didn't participate and the lawyer claimed that he only pretended to approve of the plan so that his lover Bathsheba uh, would still be chill with him basically he was like yeah uh-huh. he wanted to like be you know on good terms uh, sure. and then as for Bathsheba he argued that she was had a quote disordered mind uh, and oh. his... well yeah she already killed one person she cared about like of course you want to stay on her good side if you can yeah exactly right and then one of the reasons why she had such a door or a proof that she had a quote disordered mind was because of how bad the plan was so basically because there was no escape plan there was no it it wasn't really well formulated basically it was because her mind wasn't right so therefore she should be let off or at least let off pretty easy um right and (laughs) none of it worked and all four of them were sentenced to be executed Bathsheba petitioned for a postponement due to her pregnancy because at this point she was I'll say she claimed at the in their eyes she claimed to be five months pregnant and a first group of examiners argued against her being pregnant. They actually did their quote-unquote tests and said, no, 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 she's not. Act- she's lying. Uh, she, there's no way she's five months pregnant. But then they had the tests done again, um, whatever tests these were at the time. Um, and this panel, the second panel said, actually, she is pregnant. We should wait at least until the baby's born. The court did not grant the postponement. And the four were executed on July 2nd, 1778. It was a crowd of uh, 5,000 people in Worcester, Massachusetts. And they did an autopsy. And sure enough, she was five months pregnant. (gasps) So this led to a lot of controversy, obviously, because, you know, the people, a lot of people wanted her hanged because she was a loyalist, especially. And she did commit this crime. But... You know, then once they found out that, yeah, oh, she was telling the truth about this, like, people were obviously upset at this decision. And also, it turns out that the man who signed her death warrant was a staunch anti-loyalist, and he was a member of the innermost circle of the Sons of Liberty. Uh, Uh And he was also a close relation to uh, Joshua Spooner, the murder victim, uh, to Joshua's stepbrother. So huge conflict of interest, very huge huge conflict of interest. And all of this came up after the fact. Um, And all this does lead me to the research that I did, which was the most quote unquote fun uh, part of part of this, because the views of both her and her case changed over the years or was (gasps) added to. And it was so interesting to get to go through and read about all of these and also the different reasons why she popped up in the news, because there were times when she wasn't mentioned in any newspapers for for decades and then suddenly she'd pop up again. 
And so the earliest mention, because I have that podcast, the Human Seeking Human, about newspapers. So I just went through all the newspapers that I could find um, about that mentioned her name. And the earliest I could find was from uh, Fall River Daily Evening News in Fall River, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. And this was July 10th, 1865. It was a few months after Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Okay. And the reason she was brought up was because one of the alleged uh, co-conspirators uh, was Mary Surratt. Um, oh! Who was, uh, yeah, you might recognize her name because she's, you know, very historically... She was involved in his assassination, right? Yeah, yeah. Because so... her daughter still haunts the White House. Oh. Who, her, uh, I guess, after his assassination, her mom was uh, one of the people who was going to be executed. And her daughter, Anna, back when you could just, like, walk up to the White House, she was, like... I guess she like banged on the door like in the middle of the night, like begging for them to like give her mom mercy. Yeah. And so now that's one of the ghosts that still show up at the White House. Oh. You'll hear banging on the door or see an apparition banging on the door and they think it's Anna Surratt. Yeah. And that makes sense because Mary Surratt was the first woman to be executed by the U.S. government. So it literally Ooh. came from the president saying, hey, yeah, we are killing her. And also, I think uh, when, after she was executed, they refused to... Uh, give the body over to the family. Mm. I think that was another big <gasps> thing. So wow. I think they did eventually. It took some years, but I assume Anna was trying to also get the body back afterwards. Sure. So yeah. uh, three days. So she ended up being executed, Mary Surratt. She was executed three days before this article was published. And this was, like I said, Fall River Daily Evening News in 1865. It was pretty short. It just says, Mrs. Surratt, not the first. In 1778, Bathsheba Spooner, a daughter of Timothy Ruggles, a Tory, was hung at Worcester with three men who, at her instigation, had murdered her husband. So, pretty factual. It just kind of laid it out like, hey, this sure. has happened before. Here's, here are the facts. And then it actually, just a little fun fact, it also made international news. It was uh, in the Reynolds newspaper in London uh, in July of 1865, where, because of Mary Surratt, they also mentioned Bathsheba Spooner as being another person who was executed. And then a year later, there was another article, kind of a little more detail. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it was from Port Allen, Louisiana. And it brought up that the dad, that her dad was a Tory. It talked about her being executed, why she was executed. But it was, again, just kind of like the basic facts, nothing too interesting um, other than the regular story. But 1875, so uh, 10 years later, her story really started to be romanticized. So it got weird. I started reading and I'm like, where did all of these details come from? Like, I never, like, I didn't read about any of this. And then all of a sudden it's like as if it's a work of fiction. Did you find out about that? Because like you checked the date or the air, like how did you find out that it was like as time went on, this got more flowery? Yeah, so I searched in my, like I use, I have a subscription to newspapers.com because that's where I do most of my research. And so I I searched for Bathsheba Spooner and I sorted it by year and I went through every single Uh. article. And thankfully her name is unique enough where it's not, there were a (laughs) lot of Bathsheba mentions because Bathsheba is also a biblical um, figure. So there are a lot of random religious things in there, but it was pretty easy to find the articles that actually were talking about who I wanted them to talk about. And they got really, really flowery. It got really ah. strange because, you know, at first, you know, as, as a, as a loyalist, she wasn't well respected, you know, that no one yeah, really. Yeah. So it was probably like, like they didn't even want to give her the dignity of like yeah. any additional facts. Just like yeah. she died. Fun. Yeah. 
And then, in, and then it started to shift, though. So here's one. This is from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the Intelligencer Journal, January 19th, 1875. And here's just a little, there was, it was a lot. Um, the whole article was about women in crime, mm. uh, but there was a, a whole segment about her. And this is about her um, execution. So here's what it says. Then she gave up hope and summoned courage. She dressed her handsome person in the richest brocade and lace, put on all her jewelry, and looked like a copley picture as she stepped out of the country jail. Her health was so feeble that she could not walk. Her friends and neighbors had all come to see her hanged, and she bowed to them smilingly, acknowledging the attention. They even hanged her poor lover, Ross, first, but she did not blench. As her turn came, a violent thunderstorm broke over the scene. She crawled on her hands and knees up the fatal ladder, too feeble to mount otherwise. The thunder and lightning increased in intensity. The prince of the powers of darkness had come to claim his daughter, the people thought. She did not blench, but died with a smile on her lips. What is this, Little Women or something? That's the, Right? That is the, like, that sounds like the beginning of, like, erotica like it's, a, it's <laughs> so powerful and moving yeah. and wow. it was it, that became the theme it became very much about you know more to, more than just the crime it turned into this um like fantastical story of this brave woman who fought and sure her husband was abusive you know there there were uh-huh. they started to bring these facts up as um, not necessarily to excuse what she did, but to say, look, she had a reason for it. And also she was pregnant. So the fact that that, that played a big factor, I think, in a lot of these, um, because, you know, the fact that they killed a five-month-old unborn child and the people yeah. got, were, of, of course, r- rightfully, like, not happy about that. Mm-hmm. And um, there's this article from the Holton Recorder in Holton, Kansas, from 1878, that talks about that specifically. So it says, The surgeons to whom her body was given reported the same night that what she had said about herself was true, and the effect on the public mind was startling. So talking about how the surgeons were confirmed that she was in fact pregnant. The feeling against Mrs. Spooner had naturally been aggravated by prejudice against her family and her own open contempt for public opinion. But now that it was known that the vengeance of the law had fallen on her unborn child, there was intense mortification at the needless haste of the proceedings. The terror which her punishment was meant to cause was largely neutralized by pity for her sufferings, and her crime was almost lost sight of in admiration for her beauty, her energy, and her fortitude. So basically saying, like, because once they found out she was pregnant, everyone kind of shifted their view uh, and and looked at her not as a loyalist, but rather as this as a woman um, or a as mom a woman, or... yeah, and who has gone through this tragedy, mm. and so that that's when she kind of came back up again. Was and a lot of them also had some religious leanings too. So uh, talking about how um, like now like she's with God now, and she and her unborn child are right. now with God. So it got very religious. Um, and then there was another reason for why she'd be brought up again, and it was similar to the Mary Surratt case, when other women killed their husbands. Um, oh, so this okay. is kind of like multiple true crime stories. I'm not going to go too into too much detail. but it's, called, um, it's very meta right now of like a true crime show talking about true crime <laughs> before there were true crime shows. It's very wild. Yeah. So in 1887, a woman named uh, Roxana Drews murdered her husband. And uh, this is an article from Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, March 2nd, 1887. 
It says, The approaching execution of Mrs. Drews calls attention to the criminal record of this city, and I find that while 100 men have been hanged here during the past century, the number of women is only four, the latest case having occurred about 60 years ago. One of the most sensational cases of the kind that ever occurred in America was the execution of Bathsheba Spooner for the murder of her husband in Springfield, Massachusetts. Mm. Um, And it says, It will be noticed that the women who suffer the death penalty are almost invariably murderers of their husbands. But of all such cases, the Drews tragedy is the most horrible, and hence the murderess has but little claim on public sympathy. And sure enough... uh, there wasn't very little sympathy for Roxana Drews, uh, who was executed. Um, and she was the last woman to be executed by hanging in New York state. And part of the reason why she was the last was because her execution was botched and, uh, it caused New York state to switch the primary method of execution from hanging to electric chair. Wow. So just a little sprinkle of a a little fact in there. Um, just, yeah. (laughs) Just a whole sprinkle. I don't know how to sprinkle true fun, the quote unquote fun facts. Like into... a salt bay situation of like, and then the electric chair, you know? In case anyone was wondering, I don't know. <laughs> hmm, like, when was the last woman hanged in the state of New York? No, um, I, I mean, between that and shoe buckles, I feel like, and RuneScape, I'm learning so much. Today, oh, good. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. I might have some more things. Uh, then there, uh, 30 years later, there was another woman named Mary Rogers who was convicted of murdering her husband and there was a lot of time a talk at the time about whether or not she was guilty and then if guilty whether or not she should be executed um and if executed she would be the first woman um oh sorry no uh so because of this there were a lot of retellings of the Bathsheba Spooner case because people were pointing to that and saying hey remember that time we executed this woman and it went really terribly like let's maybe not make that same mistake and Again, because of that, they use very flowery language to try to talk about this case. So here's an example from the Boston Globe uh, in 1903. This is specifically about her meeting Ezra Ross, the soldier, her lover. It says, Ross was now a young man of 18, fine-looking and soldierly, whom campaigning had developed into a man of the world. She was a woman of 33, beautiful and accomplished. Unhappy in her domestic life, she readily bestowed her love upon the dashing young soldier. His visit was prolonged. Like the lotus eaters of Homer, he forgot to return home. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's so dramatic. (laughs) I feel like every time you do this, it's getting more (laughs) flowery and more Shakespearean. It's like they're really trying to beat around the bush here on the facts. (laughs) Yeah. She was ever in his company, and they took long horseback rides through the romantic and beautiful Quaybog Valley till her love for the young soldier fermented into a guilty passion, which turned dislike for her aged husband into hatred. So yeah, it, it basically is as if you're telling like this romance novel and talking about it's it's bizarre. And these articles were very long too, so they had all of, like this whole they told the whole story this way. Um, so they did talk about the facts, but whenever they did, they'd also bring in like like in that last one a few few articles ago about the thunderstorms at the execution happened. I'm like, I never read about that until I looked at these old newspapers and yeah. they were. Like, how do you know what the weather was a hundred years later? Like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. It's so, it's so weird. And then this next one might be even weirder. This one's from uh, 1904. This is the Black Hills Union. It's a newspaper from Rapid City, South Dakota. 
Wow, um, everyone's talking about this girl. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 crazy. I, all over the place. And then it says, here it says, She bowed gracefully to spectators whom she recognized, and when the time came, with a smile, she mounted the scaffold and acknowledged that her punishment was just. Taking the sheriff's hand, she said, My dear sir, I am ready. In a little time, I expect to be in bliss, and but a few years must lapse when I hope I shall see you and my other friends again. Whoa. The drop fell, and the awe-stricken spectators returned to their homes, not beside her kindred, but in a lonely grave on the hillside, in ground owned by a friend, the body of the beautiful enchantress was laid to rest, and the forgiving earth closed over her forever. Few in these days know the place, but whenever a sinning woman is condemned in Massachusetts to give up her life on the scaffold, the spirits of Bathsheba, Ruggles, Spooner, and her unborn child arise from the grave on the hillside to make pitiful appeal, and never without avail. Very flowery Oof. language. What a Half the words beautiful I don't know. enchantress and the earth ate her up. I mean, okay, so, hmm, where do I want to start? <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's... First of all, I think it's shocking that uh, people who had that ability to write were, like, comparatively, like, they were reporting mm -hmm. on her, we're reporting on her. Like, it has really dumbed down. Like, like if those were the words they had to use before and now we're talking about, <laughs> like, belt buckles the whole time. Like, the timeline of what reporting has turned into is very silly. And then on top of that, I really wish that somebody from back then could time travel to now just to, like let us know how accurate that was because yeah. if they were writing that in 1904 and she's like bowing to her friends and holding the guard's hand and hoping to see him again i wish they could all be like no she kicked and screamed the whole way like that's not yeah. what happened and also it wasn't storming outside yeah, like it, i you know? it makes you almost question these sources i mean especially because this isn't i mean there are some that are just like the boston globe there's some in here that are just they're legitimate newspapers i mean they're all you know legitimate publications but yeah back then it, it what was it's, what were their fact checkers you know who who they can just yeah. kind of make up what they want and then years later we're like oh look this newspaper article said this but how accurate is it how much of it was guesswork or how much of it was even like old school version of needing like to get the word count. And that's why it's so flowery. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like, I, I wonder how, yeah, that's a great point on like where reporting ended and just trying to get a story out began. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, after that though, I mean, the, a lot of the times that she'd be brought up were a lot of them were just, um, at least for a bit, Podcasts. about like <laughs> not quite yet. That that kind of comes in later, but it's kind of more of like fun facts. So what would happen is in uh, in a lot of these newspapers, they'd have the same fun facts, and I assume there's like a a top newspaper company or whatever, and they would send the same information to all these newspapers across the country to publish. Um, oh, similar to I think uh, like nowadays, you'll get an article, and the article actually originated somewhere else. Uh, and then that it was like sent out as a blast to all these different publications, um, similar thing. And so there was a, a lot of columns about like random, it was, yeah, like a fun fact. And it just had, oh, here's some fun facts. So I saw them in Tennessee, Louisiana, North Carolina, and it was literally just a small box. And I think the top maybe said oddities or something. And it said that, uh, or, oh. or like trivia or something. And it said uh, that she was the last legal execution of a woman in Massachusetts. And that was their little fun fact. It was a thing that people, I guess, would then talk about in the at dinner later that day. 
but then it's like yeah oh go no, ahead, no, go no. ahead go i ahead. was gonna sw- pivot so you tell me what you're... i was i was gonna say it makes me think immediately of oh how the mighty have fallen for that like you have this whole portrait of like the 1870s to early 1900s mm-hmm. of like this flowery might as well be a whole chapter of a book story dedicated to you yeah and now you're like a blip on a tablet yeah like that's like very interesting that at some point the story just kind of faded out of interest yeah. or because like it, it lasted from the 1700s all the way up until like the 20th century. And mm-hmm. then eventually people were like, eh, we've done this enough. And just like kind of threw her to, to this, to the wayside. Yeah. It was less about the, uh, the woman and more about the execution uh, than mm-hmm. anything. And, um, and then though she popped up again because another woman murdered her husband, Eva Kaber, killed daniel caber her husband she actually hired two men to do it and this was in 1921 and so it's like a very similar type of case so yeah it's like she reincarnated (laughs) yeah exactly and there was an article about executing women written in the buffalo times in buffalo new york in 1921 and it says whenever a woman murderer no matter how fiendish her crime has been sentenced to capital punishment in the u.s at once a furor of sentiment against putting to death a member of what is considered the gentler and the finer sex has been aroused, and governors have been besieged to stay her execution. Such a feeling of pity for women, just because she is a woman, although devoid of the moral attributes of her sex, already is making itself known in the Caber murder case, alleged to have been plotted by women, and for which four women are indicted for first-degree murder and face the electric chair." So basically mm-hmm. saying uh, nowadays, look, we, they're, yes, they're women, but we should still execute them. Like this is a, we used to execute them. And that's what they brought up later in this article. They brought up Bathsheba's case to say, look, we used to do this, but nowadays we're very like hesitant to kill women just because they're women. Um, right. <laughs> so it was, it was just an interesting look into the time. I, I don't know what that means for society now or anything, but, um, and she was later. I feel like you could really, you could deep dive into like the, the social, you know, standards at yeah. that time. That could become its own whole topic. So. Yeah. Um, and I won't go into that, but I, what I will say is that Eva Kaber was uh, sentenced to life in prison. So she was not executed. Gotcha. And then 24 years later, Bathsheba makes another appearance. But for a different reason, this is because, this is 1945, someone found Joshua Spooner's grave. So they found his grave and a blast, like a similar blast was sent to all these different newspapers, including this one in um, the Star Phoenix, which is in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. This is August 1945. And it just says, Epitaph tells all. Brookfield, Massachusetts. (laughs) In the village cemetery is the grave of Joshua Spooner, whose epitaph says he was murdered by three soldiers of the revolution. Ross, Brooks, and Buchanan at the instigation of his wife, Bathsheba. And wow. that's it. And that was sent to so a bunch of newspapers I read uh, had the same little, like, again, another fun fact. And it's all because someone discovered the grave and thought, oh, this is f- interesting. And so they didn't have any more details. All they knew was someone found this grave. Yeah. Wow. And then... Meanwhile, there were actually a shocking amount of accounts about it if you look 100 years ago. But mm-hmm. wow. It was a lot and harder also, back then to like look and find all of these accounts. So they didn't yeah. have findagrave.com. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, wow. And also, that's on his epitaph. Can you imagine if like the way you died or the way you were murdered is like the only thing people are right. going to remember about you 300 years later? Right. <laughs> wow. Um, 
And then, well, I mean, it could be argued that if, if he hadn't been murdered, he wouldn't be remembered at all. Okay, that's uh, you know, one he, way to look at it, too. a wealthy farmer. You know, his dad was a merchant, so I don't think he had no, as far as I knew, no political aspirations or anything like that. So he was, and I, I don't think he had any role. I don't even know if he would consider himself a Tory. I don't know if he was, Yeah. he was just kind of there. Um, <laughs> but then again, he was murdered. So who knows what he could have become. But then, similar to that podcast thing, in 1951, there was a series titled Album of Famous Mysteries, and it included the story of Bathsheba. But Shut they up, called no it way. the case of the old man and the young wife. So oh, they're already wow. like talking about the age difference between the two and already kind of setting it up as like this woman who was in this terrible predicament got out through murder. And yeah, then again, like presented like a work of fiction. So we got back to that and she was, there were different radio. Um, so I saw a lot of things like on the schedule this week and it was radio broadcasts and telling her story. So Wow. She became like a little bit of a, like a little, like a a legend, a true legend, but still it was a very like a, oh, let's talk about the legend of Bathsheba Spooner. But again, like very flowery and kind of like almost like it's a work of fiction. And the uh, subheading for that one was, while Ross was recovering from his wounds, Bathsheba remained devotedly at his side. Later, she was to prove her devotion in another more sinister way. (laughs) <laughs> it's really just setting it up that like as if it's this crazy like this fictional like this story like a romance story i don't know i know imagine also if you were like either of them or even the two men who killed them and to know that people are still finding new ways to rep to like present your story mm-hmm. of what happened and it's all making you look like kind of good yeah like, yeah she she did it pretty well story-wise i'd say <laughs> i know um but yeah cbs radio played uh this thing called crime classics with which uh dramatized different stories and one of them was called the crime of bathsheba spooner so that's a little fun thing and then there was this is the thing i sent you an image for so okay there's an article in the Billings Gazette uh, in Billings, Montana from 1977, and it was reprinted from the Farmer's Almanac. So the Farmer's Almanac did a little story on uh, Bathsheba Spooner, and oh my god, is the illustration intense. So if you open oh, that up, it is... Yep. I, I saw that and I was like, woo! It, hey. <laughs> it is a drawing for people who are not on YouTube or who aren't on our Instagram. It is... Uh, a sketch of a woman being hanged and there are literal men with axes in the crowd like all watching her and they seem they seem at least neutral about the fact that she's hanging there yeah and it and says an, un, an unborn child pays for murder when his guilty mother is hanged it was she beautiful charming socially prominent judged author and procurer of the bloody event whom the people especially came to see hanged she was charming beautiful and a murderer a murderess yeah so it just got very again like they're presenting it as like look at the I, it's it for as if it's for entertainment purposes rather than for yeah just factual purposes um this the sketch itself i mean it wasn't like it wasn't drawn like in a in a, a bubble format or anything but it looked like it almost could have just been like a comic yeah yeah it's weird right you it's know so weird yeah yeah and then comes one of my favorite mentions, which I think was really interesting. It's from 1982, and it was a Statesman Journal uh, in Salem, Oregon. And uh, someone wrote into the editor about Bathsheba Spooner and had this to say. 
Bathsheba Spooner planned the murder of her husband 204 years ago, and three accomplices carried out the crime. Bathsheba was desperate, and women were not allowed the choices women have today, divorce and abortion. Had Bathsheba got a divorce for her abusive husband without social humiliation and rejection, she would have borne her lover's baby and kept the child. Had she been able Mm. to have an abortion, she could have tried to save her marriage. Given one of the choices, she might not have planned to kill her husband, and she, along with the three men, wouldn't have been hanged. Bathsheba begged her executioners to let her give birth to the baby, then carry out the sentence, but she was refused. Shortly after the hanging, an autopsy was performed on her that revealed a five-month-old male fetus. Six lives were lost because of oppression. We need to hang on to our choices that keep us from becoming desperate, because desperate people usually find ways to end their torment. Colleen Hardman, Salem, Oregon. So it was really interesting to see someone who not only knew about the story or read about the story, but then um, related it to today's Today's times. Yeah, it was. So it was really interesting to read that because and that was after I hadn't read about she didn't pop up much anymore. And then all of a sudden, uh, in a letter to the editor, someone so well put, like puts lays a story out in the context of today's world, which I thought was yeah. really cool. And also it felt, I mean, I, it makes sense because it's coming up closer and closer to like our actual timeline, but the reporting seemed like what I consider solid reporting and that it seemed kind of, here are the facts, here's a slight opinion, but mm-hmm. like, let's not make it too puffy and beautiful. And yeah. so it, it seemed like it was almost the, like a, a better explanation of, the, the scenario to begin with. It wasn't I don't know. Like I just, the, the brave enchantress. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't yeah. like. I take it. I take it more seriously compared to the other ones. Exactly. So. Yeah. 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 Um, and then there's only one more mention uh, that I could okay. find, and it's the most recent one. This is from 2017. And wow, it's you it really was, went the whole gamut. I, I really did. I tried to find everything I could. Um, and this is uh, from the Boston Globe again. So we're back to her being talked about in the Globe, uh, February 19th, 2017. This is, it's like a a fun fact thing about Brookfield, Massachusetts. And so on it, it has uh, 1939. And then it talk talk about a cow that was born in 1939 in the town. And it has like a little history thing. Imagine if you're that cow, like (laughs) you you are still making headlines. Right, right. (laughs) And then it says 1,700, which is the number of luminaries placed on Brookfield Common, Lincoln Street and round... Route 9, and lit each year in a holiday tradition. So it has, like, these little fun facts about the town, and then it has the number 32. And it says, 32, age of Brookfield resident Bathsheba Spooner when she reportedly was the first woman hanged in the United States by Americans, not the British. The wife of Joshua Spooner, Bathsheba, was hanged in Worcester on July 2nd, 1778, after plotting with a member of the Continental Army and two British soldiers to kill her husband and stuff him down a well. She was five months pregnant when she died. And then there's a picture of, it looks like a tombstone, and it's, but it says, Spooner Well. Joshua Spooner murdered and thrown down this well March 1st, 1778 by three revolutionary soldiers at the urging of his wife. So it's just like a little hmm. local, have a little local flavor of what's going on in Brookfield, Massachusetts. And she gets a final mention as a uh, little fun fact. Uh, including a picture of the spot where her husband, Joshua, was thrown down the well. Wow. Wow. 
That's okay. all. That's that's whew, that's Bathsheba th- Spooner's journey through time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, the the earliest time traveler. Um, wow, that's. I do like that there was it kind of peppered in there. There was a few just like random fun facts. It it really was quite a range of like here is this very long verse of the most detail possible, and then here's like a, a throw a bone situation. Yeah. yeah. Like How, do you know if any, I, if you didn't uh, look at any other podcasts, it's fine. Do you know if any other podcasts have covered her? I have no idea. Okay. So I, I, I it would have been fun you. if we were the first since 2017 to mention her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that wouldn't be fun, but I don't know. Let's pretend we are. Um, okay. No, I, uh, I'm not sure. I, it's bad. I, I think you're similar to me though. I don't really listen to podcasts much. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really use podcasts for research. Uh, I actually didn't I, think is... about it until you mentioned that. <laughs> No, I mean, you literally used like hundreds of years of newspapers. I think you're fine. I, you know what's so, I don't know if you would know this because I just imagine, I don't know. I, I like to think of you as a plethora of knowledge. And also uh, you have a whole podcast on newspaper clippings. Mm-hmm. So do you happen to know, this is very random, how people even searched for things before the internet for, for newspapers? Like if you were in the, 1850s how did you find information about someone from the 1700s i i think that it's been everything has been um or at least at a certain point started to be cataloged and placed in like local libraries or um government buildings where they'd have any any edition of a newspaper would be saved because um with newspapers.com it's all you know these scans of these old newspapers and um i believe they got them from um the archives so they'd have an archives and they have archivists whose main job was to preserve these old newspapers and eventually now thankfully with technology they've been able to scan all of these newspapers and it's fun like i don't know if you get the emails but every once in a while i get an email from newspapers.com saying a new newspaper is available and it's like some random one from a rinky dink town from the 1800s that like i guess someone it's never like a mind-blowing article but um no offense to newspapers.com i'm still waiting for like here's a newspaper about aliens coming down to earth yeah no because i mean I guess I don't know what the right word is. It's not privileged or entitled, but I think I'm just so not part of the archive community mm-hmm. that I'm just blissfully unaware of some of the jobs that exist out there. But I, I, there's like a certain point in time where I can look, I can think back enough and think like, oh, they probably were able to like more easily than I'm aware of find articles from forever ago. But like once you hit like the 19... 19- 40s 1930s in my mind it just becomes like an impossible task yeah and i'm i like at what point did people start archiving i wonder because for them to have had i know now with newspapers.com it's probably easier but how did people in that that 1904 one how on earth did they know about bathsheba in the 1700s crazy yeah that's a good point. And I think speaking about that, I, I um, the for earliest one that I found, the earliest article was from the 1800s. I, I would bet good money that the newspapers back in 1776 or whatever publications they had definitely talked about this murder and her execution, but I just didn't have access to anything like that. Right. So, so I assume that there were no archives or at least not where I was looking of those newspapers. So that's why I said the earliest I found, because there's no right. way that her first mention was in 1865. Um, right. It had to have been earlier than that. But yeah, then again, how did the people in 1865 like read up about this case? I assume, yeah, they went and looked up the archives 
whatever or that honestly, means. Honestly, <laughs> maybe they just heard it from their grandparents because the yeah. one they've been around from the 1700s. Yeah, that's a good point. Who knows? I mean, yeah. I and I, I just think a little things like that. And by the way, if you work at newspapers.com and you're looking for like a new angle to like really draw people in, y'all should have a drop down, like a category for like just like true crime or like do them in like mm-hmm. uh, like people's interests and just do like because if I I'm sure that would become such a useful tool for people who are researching true crime all the time to like, if you could just type in Bathsheba and just get a list of a true crime person, you could do it for other categories too, but true crime and paranormal would bode well for me. That's a good start. I'd say. Yeah. I would love to like, uh, I have newspapers.com. This feels like a big ad for newspapers.com, <laughs> but I have it for myself because I'm really into ancestry. But if uh-huh. I could rely on a source like that for just like paranormal articles, oh my God, my life would be so much easier. Like it's, yeah. it'd be very cool. I've never been able to use newspapers um, for a spooky story yet. That'd be very fun one day. So Yeah. Yeah. No, I recommend, because when I first started this, this wasn't my plan. I, I found her and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to go read up on it. And then I was like, let me check newspapers.com. And then it like the story just, formed around me where I was reading these articles. I'm like, this is getting <laughs> wild. What are they calling? They're calling her an enchantress? Like, I, th- I, I, I wish I was in the wasn't. room. I wish <laughs> no. I was in the room the second it got really flowery for you. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, I went from like some research papers about her. And I was like Wikipedia, obviously. And then I went into those sources from there. And I was like very factual. And then... I'm like I'm like let's check newspapers.com I'm like wait a second why did why did newspapers not or why did Wikipedia not mention the crazy thunderstorms that happened apparently like the moment she was executed I felt a little like that with Bunny Man Bridge just because I expected like a bunch of Reddit forums of like mm-hmm. what's your urban legend from your hometown and that's what it looked like a while ago which is why like my own hometown friends have been like why haven't you covered our literal urban yeah, legend yeah and I've been like there's just not enough information which like this is a psa to everybody if i haven't covered your urban legend and you've suggested to me there might just not be enough information but because i have to have a certain amount of notes to be able to like gauge whether or not i'm gonna have enough information to tell Mm -hmm. a story that's worth the time or like you know worth a literal time limit and uh maybe if you're listening though and i haven't covered yours like give me the suggestion again and maybe it's grown overnight like bunny man bridge did because when I checked this time versus like a year ago or two years ago, it's it's a completely different Google page. So, yeah, everyone's everyone cross your fingers for your urban legend to just all of a sudden blow up with information. Yeah, because there's so many different archives out there and there's so much information out there that people just haven't discovered yet that or at least hasn't gone mainstream enough where you can just Google it and it'll pop up. So, yeah, you never know. Suddenly, suddenly something might happen and it'll it'll be back in the public eye. And sure enough, all these newspapers will talk about it uh, because like all these different articles I mentioned about Bathsheba, I'm sure when they were published, it was the first time any of these people heard of her, mm-hmm. even though there have been in the past multiple times she was mentioned, but she kept getting popping back up. And in 2017, same thing with that article. I bet a lot of people in Boston were like, huh. Never heard of this story. Yeah. You know, and then who knows, like 10 years from now, maybe another woman would kill her husband and it'll, she'll pop up again. Yeah. It's so interesting how that works. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't actually know what uh, time this comes out because we're recording way in advance. Like it's not even Halloween yet when we were recording this, but I think we are coming up on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so just so we like feel like we are, have time traveled into everyone else's world. <laughs> 
before we end, do you have any holiday plans coming up? Do you feel if you can imagine yourself on like the couple weeks before December 25th? Are you feeling stressed about Christmas shopping or anything yet? Oh, I'm always feeling stressed about Christmas shopping. I'm sure. Yes. So yes, I am. Um, okay. I don't have gifts for anyone. I'm sure at this point. Um, but it's going to be an exciting time because I mean I don't know what my sister's plans are or anything. But you know now Leona's here, and so like our family grew this year and. It's going to be, and it's last year, it was my first Christmas alone because I was in LA and I couldn't travel home for it. And I was just in my one bedroom apartment. So uh, anything for this Christmas will be better than last Christmas. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and yeah, our, this is <laughs> our family has grown. So I was going to say, this is our, uh, this is going to be my first Christmas back home too because mm-hmm. COVID, we, I was inside on my, actually, no, I wasn't inside for Christmas last year. Um, all during COVID, Eva and I were each other's quarantine buddies and we did not see a single other person except each other for like eight months or something. It was very wild. But the only time I left my home was to go to Eva's and, uh, we decided cause Allison took the leap and went home for Christmas, but then she, uh, quarantined by herself for two weeks yeah. before she, before we got to see each other again. So I ended up being alone on Christmas and the two weeks after that. So Eva and I hung out for Christmas. And I remember she made this really good, like, I think it was like some sort of breakfast casserole. Or, and then I ended up making like mac and cheese for us. And we got like, um, we had like, I think we bought like a whole cheesecake and just like went to town <laughs> on it. Something happened. We, yeah. I remember making it like a an, an ultra feast of sorts. But so I, I'm very excited to no offense, Eva. I'm excited to see my family <laughs> for Christmas this year. Instead of doing a zoom Christmas, I sat right here and watched my whole family open presents by the fire with Christmas music. And I was like, yep. barely in pants and yeah. just watching them from afar. So uh, I don't know what my plans are yet. I don't know even if I'm in California when this comes out, but whatever happens. Oh, you know what, if this is the week, I think it is. The Spider-Man three movies coming out. It's going to be, it's a big time for me in future in the future world. So anyway, thank you for coming on. I, I'm going to figure out with Eva when the actual Christmas episode comes out and we'll have to, you know, address it. When well, it, yeah, we'll address <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. There. I I've, my brain is not there yet. Cause we're not even at Halloween, but I will yeah. pretend it's there. Maybe me too. Next episode. Me too. I'll put on a Santa hat or something and we'll make it real festive. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Zandy. Uh, come back next week, and uh, I guess we're going to pretend it's Christmas or something. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. I love it. Thank you. And that's why we drink. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.